is the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the show. We get more intelligence on the flood damage and uh, what's happening around the state at the moment. The New South Wales Farmers Association have surveyed their members and over two-thirds are experiencing flooding for their second year in a row and many say that they're struggling to recover from the long drought years. For the individual and uh, the cumulative impact, it's uh, really set to be enormous. It's not just one valley and it's not just one part of the valley, it's right across the state. And uh, to see this rolling impact going on for a second season, there's evidence from our survey... Uh, it's really resulting in, uh, you know, the havoc in the paddocks and the roads continuing. We'll also hear uh, about Grain Handler Grain Corp's record profit for the last financial year as well and uh, look at the crop damage and also talk to farmers affected as well by the flooding, uh, the recent flooding uh, moving through the system. All that's coming up. You can always send us a text 0467 922 is the number to text me here at the Country Hour. But uh, first up, uh, still on the flooding, it's uh, causing uh, havoc further down the river system. It's threatening stock and destroying uh, crops and pasture that will take months or years to recover. And the damage bill, well, it's set to rise further into the hundreds of millions of dollars as uh, time drags on. Booberoy Station is a big stop and crop, stock and cropping operation on the Lachlan halfway between Uabalong and Condoblin. I spoke to Sue Stewart a few weeks ago about being isolated in the homestead and the stock being stranded. Well, earlier today, I caught up with Dennis Stewart, and he says says that uh, in the last few weeks, things have got a lot worse uh, with a new wave of flood water heading down the Lachlan River. They, they certainly have. I, I think we're only about uh, a few days away from evacuating the homestead area, which is isolated anyway. Um, the property is about 70% underwater, to a metre and a half depth at, at least. We're accessing the property by tractor, uh, and that's a seven-kilometre journey in the tractor to get to uh, uh, a road that uh, we've got vehicles parked there. So, yeah, things aren't, aren't looking great. So your homestead is surrounded by levees, so that's kept the water out, but that's that. you think that that might get breached soon? We're, we're trying to keep raising the level that, We've got it to a limit, and it's it's breaching that limit now. So, uh, unless we had major earth moving equipment in to broaden the base of the levees, you know, we've gone to a limit. So, we're going to go underwater here. There's no question about that because I think the majority of the um, the the water is yet to come. Listening to what's happening in Forbes, for example, um, we're about two weeks away from th- that peak that's happening there now. But we're already getting inundated with water, so it's it's that's just going to make it worse. And you've got still got some stock, seventy um, percent of the property underwater. So you, you've obviously got some higher ground there. There now, are they doing okay? We've got two of that remained on the place. The bulk of them uh, have gone to another property we own. So um, the ones that are here, we're we're moving one mob to higher ground, and that's the last of the higher ground we have. The second mob is on higher ground, but we've got no ability to move them. So we'll 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 have to possibly feed them in the um, coming weeks. I think they're on sandhill country, so you'll need to drop fodder. Either that, or or use the tractor to get uh, a, a trailer in with the uh, the bales on it. 
But um, I think ultimately it will be dropping fodder to them, yes. Now, you think you'll have to evacuate in the next couple of days and you, the homestead's never been breached that you know of, even prior to you owning it? That's right. They've been breached before. They were, they're fairly extensive uh, levy banks we've got around the place. We thought we were safe. But this this event has um, yeah, just uh, put a new um, history to the place at we're certainly the water's coming in as we speak. So uh, the area of the homestead, you know, it's got multiple buildings on it and sheds and silos and things, and it's probably about ten acres. And I, I reckon we're, we're totally surrounded with water, and, and it's starting to come in now. So that that would be a massive blow to your business too, of all the equipment and silos and uh, homesteads and houses. That'd be a, and machinery. Italy is, you know, there's, um, I'm sympathetic to people further in, but what's different here is that this is going to go on for months here. We, we're, we're, we're slowly inundated, but it's slow to get away as well. So, you know, in terms of uh, getting country ready for next year and for what we've already lost, we, we had probably um, 5,000 hectares of improved pasture going. Well, that, that's gone. The cropping that we've done this year is gone. We normally do irrigation as well. The, the preparation for that won't happen. So, yeah, it's a significant um, downturn in, in our operation. So the cropping, was it how much cropping did you have in and how much? So it's all gone now? Again, the cropping of the oil is all gone. Uh, that was um, about 2,500 acres. We we crop largely for the stock. You know, right. we, um, we put in a grain crop and under-sow it with pasture. So that's gone. We've got another property where we've got a share farmer doing that. That's okay. So, um, you know, there's there's some solace there. But w- when you're on a floodplain, as we hear with this property, um, you know, you just got to take events as they happen. It's normally wonderful country, but uh, flood time, you, you pay the consequence. And a big operation, or basically, well, the vast bulk of it underwater. Did you ever, did you ever think you'd see anything like this? I mean, people are saying this is this is unprecedented this is historic hasn't been seen for 150 years at least we've been in the district for about 40 years we've owned this property for six years um i thought we were pretty safe here because we went through the 2016 flood which was a major flood and it didn't threaten i mean covering under certainly but it didn't threaten us the way this this event is happening so for me it's unprecedented and i talked to you know, locals here that have been around longer, and they say they've never seen anything like it either. Mm. And it sounds like your operation was set up precisely to weather this sort of storm. We did have a lowland country, um, uh, but uh, you know, my philosophy was to get on water, and, and we've got um, you know, 50 kilometres of uh, Lockwood River frontage here. You know, that was the goal to get on water, but. Having had that goal, you know, you've got to bear the consequences when, when floods occur. Well, it's normally a good strategy. <laughs> it normally is, Michael. Mm. I still think it's a good strategy, too. The irrigation channels normally um, would would prevent flooding, but even they've been breached. So, you know, uh, all our irrigation, is, which has a lot of infrastructure, too, channels and pumps and so on, that's, uh, yeah, that's that's going to be affected, too. Sounds like you've got like thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage. When you can add the damage bill up, you'd be, you'd be loath to do that, I would imagine. I, I, I would put it in the hundreds of thousands mm, of dollars. Mm. And next year, 
putting a crop in is going to be a real, it's, it's, well, it's looking unlikely. Um, I, th- I think on this country it is looking unlikely. I mean, we'd have wonderful subsoil moisture if we can get on the country and get a crop in, the likelihood is that we would get a bumper crop. But, uh, but you know, it, th- this is not going to go away quickly and uh, I'm wary about the prospect of getting on the country for next year. I'm hoping this will happen, but, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Well, well uh, all the best. Good luck and we'll, we'll touch base again and see how you're going in a, in a few weeks' time. Good luck. All the best. All right. Good on you, Michael. All the best to you and your family. Thank you, Michael. Okay, that's uh, Devin, De- Dennis Stewart at uh, Booberoy Station, uh, which is uh, on the Lachlan halfway between Uabalong and Condoblin. It's uh, 14 minutes past 12 here on the New South Wales Country Hour. Well, uh, moving to Forbes and Parks, they've been hard hit as well, and the flood damage continues to unfold as the river rises again to record-breaking levels and beyond in some cases. Again, stock and crop damage has been huge. Gavin Tom is the Vice Chair of the Parks Forbes New South Wales Farmers Association. We thought we were relatively unscathed because we're not on the river, but we do have a couple of creeks through our property and uh, with this five inches we had um, Monday, uh, my parents' house, which is on a high bank of the creek, and it's never looked like coming near the house. Uh, this time it did. It's the same creek that flooded all the houses in parks. There's a, an area sort of Kelly Road, Billabong Road. A lot of houses there got swamped, and uh, the flood water just kept coming up. They rang me about half past six in the morning, and because We've got another creek here, the Bartley's Creek, that separates us. I couldn't get there to help them. And uh, luckily, my cousin lives nearby and he was able to go and uh, help them move out before the water got into the house. But yeah, it's. So everybody's just, safe? Everybody's safe, yeah. There was even another neighbour who lives near a bridge on the bar, on the uh, Billabong Creek. And uh, he, uh, he woke up early in the morning and realised that his house was going to get flooded. So he got in his ute and he made it to the entrance grid of our farm, which leads to my mum and dad's place. And then he had to move in another paddock because the water kept coming up. It has been an extraordinary event, building on all the others. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we've just regarded ourselves as safe as. Like Dad's talked about in the 50s, I think, um, there was that much rain, they bogged horses, and um, his sister, as a young girl, had to go down and uh, rescue the pigs from the pig styes and float them up to higher ground. Yeah, this basically wasn't something we thought could happen. You know? mm. And what about your livestock? You've got quite a few livestock and uh, yes. you do some cropping as well. Tell me about your, your livestock first. Most of them um, were shorn in August. But I've got lambs that um, the wool was too short and I was just growing them out. But unfortunately, with all this wet weather, uh, not being able to get on the farm roads and not being able to move them, managed to get a fair bit of fly in them. So basically, and, and because I'm cut off from town uh, and shearers are probably busy anyway, um, it took me from Monday to Thursday to do the worst of them. And, uh, Treat them for fly strike, you mean? Yeah, that's right, and it's slow work chiselling off fly-struck wool, and uh, quite a few have died since anyway. It's that, you know, the blowfly, Australian blowfly really is 
horrendous in what it can do. And there's no power. The, the, the force of the creek flood was that strong. It's taken out a power pole, pulled over the poles that have got the transformer on them for mum and dad's place. Because the, um, the bridge further down has got the approaches washed out, uh, essential energy can't come around and fix the poles up and restore power. They've offered for us to get a generator, which is good of them, but, uh, like, you know, we're wondering, you know, do we get the firefighter in and try and hose it out? Or It's all new to us. You see it on the TV, don't you, all the people, um, buckets and mops and shovels and whatever, getting the mud out of their place. But uh, until you experience it yourself, yes. it's... Uh, and uh, a lot of houses being damaged in Forbes, washed off their foundations. People will be um, dealing with that in a big way in that town. What are your yeah. neighbours telling you about the impact on, on the rural properties, though? Like, it, it varies a lot, you know. Um, it's Amazingly, there is some fantastic crops that will be able to be harvested if it dries out. It just seems to keep raining. Like, we had the longest dry spell up until this last event for a while, and things were drying out nicely, but... Yeah, uh, and even then people were getting machinery bogged. So, as I say, in my personal case, I didn't manage to get a lot of crop in. Gavin Thomas, the Vice Chair of the Parks Forbes New South Wales Farmers Association. It's uh, 18 minutes past 12 on the country. Uh, getting a few texts in uh, actually on uh, the uh, absolutely, absolutely devastating floods that have affected the Central West in recent weeks and the severe damage that's been caused uh, to infrastructure, particularly the roads. Lynn is saying uh, that the budget allocated, the $2.5 billion allocated to uh, the Hartley to Lithgow upgrade should be, uh, instead of uh, being sent there, should be sent to those people uh, that are out in the Central West in uh, some of the areas uh, that they mention, uh, Canoundra, Ugaura, Forbes, uh, Goolagong, those sort of places. So primary producers can get their roads fixed, the $2.5 billion allocated to the Great Western Highway should uh, go out to uh, farmers and primary, so primary producers and freight can get around. It's 19 past 12. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, farmers in the Northern River say there's been way too much attention on flood levies in urban areas. Cane growers on the Richmond River are highlighting the importance of rural flood levies such as the uh, Bungawalban flood levy. It was built in 1945 and stood the test of time until recently the levy collapsed under the strain of subsequent floods of 2017 and 2022 with the uh, catastrophe causing major damage. Florence Dagan from the Richmond River Cane Growers Association says farmers in the area are now sitting ducks. In her view, she explained to reporter Eloise Farrow-Smith uh, the importance of the rural flood levy system. Well, the Bungalwalbin levy, where we seem to be having the problem there, that is their minor and moderate flooding to reduce the impact of any floods in through the Bungalwalbin Swan Bay sort of area in around that. And if it fails, then what's happened in the past is that all through that region, which are a lot of cane growers and other agricultural pursuits and just residences, the floodwaters have wiped out crops and do a whole lot of damage. And if it fails, that's what the issue is. It's been there for a very, very long time. I think it only first failed in 2017. Have you had a look at it? 
I have. It's actually, it's very concerning. From the road, when you look across the rocks that are in place, you'd actually think that it's all fine. But once you walk along the um, top of the levee, there's so much that's been eaten away of the levee. And then on this one particular part, all of the rocks on the river side of the levee, they're actually down in the river. Um, and you're standing, the fellow that was standing there was about six foot, thereabouts. This big drop-off that's all just been eaten out, it's high, it was higher than he is, you know, and it's obviously any rain events and that sort of thing, it's only going to get worse. So the actual levee is very compromised in that particular spot. It's been doing its job since the 1940s. What's changed? Has it just been, it never had any attention paid to it and just sort of left to the problem compound with these recent disastrous, in fact, flood events? I do believe it isn't maintained very well, but then unfortunately, Rouse County Council don't have, it's a, it's a huge job that they have to do, but they are not funded to do that. Like they haven't had any sort of increase in their funding for this type of thing, I don't think, since 1985. When it was reinstated the last time, it wasn't done in the way that it was done in the old days, if you like, you know. It was done with, with rocks and all that sort of stuff, which I guess works it's all along the highway where it's working. But I don't know. It doesn't work for that particular spot. And it's on a bend and I think it's really under a lot of pressure in that point of the river. It was to be a permanent fix, but that massive flood we had, I guess, would have been very difficult to stop it. It, wouldn't have, it would have gone over anyway, but the fact that it took it out is really concerning. What and do you think needs to happen there? Like, what would you like to see there from the Cane Growers Association perspective? Given that our members have suffered massive losses from that levee wall actually not coping, I'd like to just see it fixed properly, but I'd also like to see it fixed quickly. And I support the that Rouse are actually looking to get funding to find out exactly the best way to fix it sort of longer term. But it needs to happen as a priority. And from my understanding, the focus of any funding from the New South Wales government is toward urban levies, nothing, not rural, nothing to do with rural, which it's a bit of a, a bit of pill for, for the people out there to swallow. I don't know when the money may be available to actually fix it in the first place. It's concerning because it, it won't hold up to a decent sort of size flood at all, not in its current state. So nothing's happening until we find out how it's going to be repaired. In meanwhile, everyone's very exposed to yet another catastrophe. And I don't think the people really, I know my farmers, my growers, they certainly don't need another setback and another devastation. It's just been too much already. Lawrence Dagan from the Richmond River Cane Growers Association. Well, the local county council is defending delays on repairs on the Bungawalbin flood level and says it has a limited budget. Brenda Ford is Manager of Operations Engineering and says the council is working through the damage at each of its 41 rural flood levies, but she told reporter Eloise Farris-Smith that the levy is still functional. We don't have any holes in the levee. We've got scouring, we've got some slumping and we've got some issues to work on in that, but no actual holes in the levee. So would you say then it's not a priority? No, I wouldn't say it's not a priority. What we're doing really in terms of when we're looking at our priorities for our levee repairs has been around the first. First was where we had residents who didn't have access and obviously the worst for them were the ones who were stuck in their properties and couldn't get out. We're confident that we've got all of those repaired. Um, we're now working through the rest where we know that we've got scouring and, and holes to fill and, and we're working through them. 
and we are going through them as as quickly as we can and, and it feels for us as well like it's a long time unfortunately like a lot of people we, we are struggling in terms of getting equipment and contractors out some of our really reliable contractors who who we historically have used for this sort of work were personally impacted um, and their businesses were flooded and so what will be happening there at Bungawalbin? The work that I was just talking about, that's about some scour holes that will be going in and, and topping those and filling in. Do yeah. you think that at a, gov- at a state government level that the needs of rural landholders, agricultural lands are being overlooked in terms of flood mitigation? I think that flood mitigation is, and I think I can, I can say this, um, you know, as an organisation we've put that forward on all of the inquiries um, and we've put that forward... At, a number of times that the funding is not adequate for the, the work that needs to be done in terms of even just maintenance. Uh, and then we rely so much on needing to apply through these programs and these grants to be able to do this repair work that we that we know is necessary. So you're kind of saying the same thing as, as the farmers, as the cane growers, that it's not enough, but you're doing the best you can with what you've got. Yes. I suppose one of the things that I'd like to add is I think there's been some questions around whether or not the work that we're doing is that we're not doing it because we can't get, for example, a fisheries permit. And I just want to be clear, we haven't applied for any um, in because we haven't needed to because of the nature of the works that we're doing. So it's it's not a regulation issue at this point. It is really more around availability of contractors and trades, which, again, I think everyone in this region is feeling a bit. Brenda Ford is the Manager of Operations Engineering at the local county council, talking there about the Bungawalbin flood levy. It's 26 past 12. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Tugboat crews in 17 Australian ports will today learn whether the Fair Work Commission will allow their employer to lock them out of their workplaces indefinitely from Friday. Switzer Australia issued a media statement yesterday advising of the lockout, which would further exacerbate shipping delays. It says it's lost work at three ports in the past 12 months and claims industrial action has run to nearly 2,000 hours of work stoppages. But as you're about to hear, Maritime Union of Australia National Secretary Paddy Crumlin claims that the company is trying to starve out its workforce. So you're talking about, you know, the big ports, um, iron ore, coal, LNG. Um, then you're talking about terminals, you know, the containers coming in and coming out. Ports in Queensland, New South Wales, the largest towage company. And so, yeah, they're vertically and horizontally integrated through all of uh, shipping services because of the, which makes their behaviour that much more odious. We've had industrial action, but it's been with the deft hand and a light hand. They say it's 2,000 hours, really. You know, that's a, it's not, it's part of the, sort of the Trumpism of their PR to demonise what's going on there. All, all this happened over four years and it's gradually built up. We've done it all under the auspices of the Fair Work. So you say and that uh, Switzer's claim that there's been 2,000 hours of work stoppages um, through industrial action is is rubbish. What do you think that figure rubbish. would be? Uh, 
it's not much at all. It's like some of it's overtime bans sometimes. It's never designed to hurt the movement of ships. And if someone doesn't want to settle on on something, you know, if they want to pick a fight, then um, how do you move them? But you haven't kept a tally. You can't tell me how many hours of industrial action your members have taken. Ah, because, oh, well, they, they say 2,000 hours, but, you know, that's like a cumulative over so long. It's very little, mate. You know, it's not real. It's just like they won't do an extension in one port. It's been nothing that has held up the productivity of the country. It might have been an annoyance to them, but it's done with a light hand, a light touch, because it's not the point of hurting the economy. It's the point of bringing them back to the table so they bargain in good faith. Again, it's so little has never, ever been an issue. I'm keen to get into some of the delays that this will cause. What agricultural products are we talking about here that could be delayed and, and how long could they be delayed for? Well, it depends how militant they want to be. They, they, they can just stop. They're locking out their workforce. They can't go to work to do their job. So... All of the shipping where there's a Spitzer tug in 17 ports will not be going anywhere. Uh, the seafarers aboard those ships will be held hostage to it. The ships outside will be held hostage to it. The uh, workforce can't access it, so it would affect much of the agricultural product. So what pay rises on the table here for your members or what uh, part of what Spitzer is offering um, is not palatable to you? No, it is palatable. Now, all those things are largely resolved. They've just been, there might be a few little gaps about, you know, when it applies from, but they're round in the low, round the CPI. I think, you know, the and that's been running at about 2%. It's in that, in that figure. There's never, like I say, if it was about wages, they'd be howling that. If, if um, But they're not. They don't talk about that because... There's basic agreement on on the material framework and and it's consistent with community expectations. You know, um, obviously the longer it goes on, the more inflation rises, then the whole question then becomes more complex after four years. Maritime Union of Australia National Secretary Paddy Crumlin speaking there to Peter Somerville about uh, the ports, the fair work decision expected today. Uh, about uh, what happens in regards to that industrial action, whether it's uh, made uh, illegal or not as a result of going to the uh, Fair Work Commission today. It's uh, 29 minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country Hour. We uh, hope to go to some news headlines shortly. Also, uh, quite a few texts here. Um, someone's texted in to say, uh, listening to these heartbreaking stories regarding the flooding, where's the Prime Minister? They blame Morrison for not being there during the fires, but not a word about the missing Albanese. Um, Anthony Albanese was in Forbes last week, early last week, uh, I seem to remember. Uh, someone else has texted in to uh, ask about the story about uh, Pivot in SciTech and their profit result. They were saying, uh, Mark at Griffith says, a billion dollars in profit, uh, he thinks he heard, was announced yesterday. And he says, uh, how can they explain that since the farm gate price of their products are more than twice the values claimed in the report quoted? So uh, Mark's... Uh, 
a little bit hot under the collar about those big profits there. We'll hear about a big profit too for Grain Corp as well shortly. That's coming up after the news and the weather. And someone else has texted uh, saying that um, farmers getting a bit of financial help. But what about the ag contractors? They probably need some help, maybe some grants, some government assistance as well. Uh, considering the flood damage that uh, they would be uh, copping at the moment. So uh, quite a few texts coming through. Oh, another one about uh, the Lachlan River. Someone's saying that illegal levy banks are causing a lot of the problems on the Lachlan River and that uh, the watchdog, the water watchdog, Enra, uh, say they're not going to investigate because they say it's too dangerous. Uh, this person uh, at Hilston saying uh, they could use a helicopter to have a look and see whether that's exacerbating the issue on the Lachlan with the flooding with those illegal lev- levy banks. And the local government, he says... Uh, Tony says uh, uh, they say there isn't a problem. So uh, he's, uh, he's pointing the finger there at, uh, at illegal levy banks causing some of the flooding issues on the Lachlan at the moment. It's, uh, I might raise that with Enra. I'll send him a text. It's uh, 27 minutes to one here on the country. Uh, let's find out what else is happening in the news. Adam Story, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, we've had that tragic news come through that police have found the body of the woman who's been missing in floodwaters near Ugaura. Uh, the body is yet to be formally identified, but they believe it is the missing woman. And the search is continuing for an 85-year-old man who is also believed to be missing in floodwaters. Uh, overseas, and Poland has summoned the Russian ambassador over an explosion that's killed two people in the told, uh, Polish town of Prezido. Um, the explosion, they say the explosion was likely caused by a Russian-made missile, but they say there's no concrete evidence um, as to who fired it, and Moscow has denied that they did. Um, but uh, that's the sort of thing that, uh, you know... Yes, these sorts of mistakes causes can trouble. make big... Yeah. Yes, Archduke Ferdinand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, I don't think you have to just go threw that far, in there. Back that far, do you? <laughs> just threw it out there. <laughs> um, uh, the... The wages of Australian workers uh, have actually increased uh, by the most in the uh, in ten years. Uh, they grew by one percent in July to September, but that's three point one percent over the year, um, and mainly due to the uh, s- uh, the skill shortage and also increases uh, to the minimum wage. Uh, meanwhile, thousands of nurses and midwives across the state will walk off the job again next Wednesday. Uh, in what will be their fourth strike. Uh, the Nurses' Union says it's fed up uh, with inaction by the state government to address widespread staffing uh, and wage issues. And coercive control uh, will be criminalised in New South Wales. The government's uh, reforms have passed Parliament with some amendments. Um, it's described as a form of domestic abuse that involves the partners uh, denying... Um, their partner, other partners are autonomy and independence through financial control or whatnot. Uh, so those laws have now passed and we are less than half an hour away from uh, crossing to Maribelago where... Uh, oh, right. Where it's expected former that President former Trump President Trump is Trump expected to... Make the announcement that he's going to run again. Along with blaming everyone else for the... <laughs> The red trickle that occurred last week. <laughs> Is that what you're calling it? The red trickle. Uh, there you that's go. one of the many that's terms one of the I've many terms. described of it. Right. Uh, so As opposed to the wave. That'll be interesting. Mm, indeed, yes. Mm. 
less than half an hour to go. Okay, yeah. well, we'll, yeah. we'll be listening at one o'clock. Not saying we're having live coverage of it. <laughs> <laughs> Someone will be, Oh, for there'll sure. be plenty of networks <laughs> that will. Don't, don't worry, worry about that. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. From the ballroom at yes, Marilago, apparently. Yes, Yes, so yes. I heard this morning. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yes. Yes, fabulous. It's place to be. Mm. Okay, thanks <laughs> for that. Adam Story with the news headlines. It's uh, 24 minutes to one here on the country. Hour. Let's find out what's happening with the weather details. Alenka Dumar is at the Bureau. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. Now, Alenka, we were talking yesterday to Jordan about this uh, system that's coming through maybe on the weekend, and he said it's a bit hard to tell what's going to happen. Is there a little, more, little bit more light we can shed on that now? Yeah, look, um, it is uh, expected. We are still expecting this uh, next system over the weekend. Um, but before we get to the weekend, the remainder of today, we are still seeing uh, remnants of this uh, trough uh, moving through and some cooler air, which is bringing um, some storms to the southeast and also some small hail and some snow to lower levels, uh, particularly about the southern and central ranges. So uh, if you are heading out today, just be mindful of that um, over sort of this afternoon and coming into this evening. But uh, yeah, as you mentioned, um, once this system clears today, we will see a high pressure system uh, move across the state. So Thursday, Friday, we're expecting generally dry, uh, mostly dry and uh, sunny conditions across most parts uh, with some morning frosts uh, about um, particularly about the ranges over the next couple of mornings. But as we head into the weekend, uh, we are expecting uh, another system to move through. Uh, this cold front and uh, associated trough is expected to cross uh, inland areas on Saturday and then make its way to eastern and uh, northeastern districts uh, during Sunday. And with this system, expecting... Um, yeah, once again, widespread thunderstorms. Uh, at this stage, the, it does look, um, in terms of uh, comparative to the one that we saw just move through over the weekend, there's probably a, a slightly less upper-level support um, in this uh, upcoming system, uh, but still uh, we can expect uh, some uh, severe thunderstorms, particularly about inland areas, but the threat will mostly be uh, wind. Um, we can't rule out some uh, moderate to heavy rainfall uh, with uh, some localised uh, and isolated thunderstorms, but generally it is expected to be more of a windy system uh, than a rainy system um, moving through this, uh, this coming weekend. So in terms of the sort of uh base level of millimetres that might fall like the last system I think they were talking about a you know 30 millimetres plus is it looks like a lot less for this say 10 millimetres plus generally speaking and then you know some thunderstorms on top of that yeah, look, it will depend on where you are. Um, the southern, uh, the southern parts and the southern ranges and uh, parts of the southern inland uh, can expect more uh, rainfall than probably those uh, northern and central parts. Um, but certainly, yeah, it is looking uh, a little less. Um, that's probably still a little bit uncertain exactly uh, the rainfall amounts at this stage. But looking at probably more like that uh, widespread uh, 10 millimetres with those locally higher falls with thunderstorms um, for most regions, most parts. Um, but as I mentioned, the western ranges, south, or southern ranges, sorry, and uh, southwest slopes and parts of the southern inland could see um, probably more like um, sort of 20 to 30 millimetres. Um, mm. But yeah, just keep an eye on that as it may change as this system develops. So more flood watch for some of those systems like the Lachlan, the Murrumbidgee, you know, the Murray again uh, as a result of that rainfall, which will then just be runoff basically straight into the river system, I would imagine. 
Yeah, that is correct. I do believe that a flood watch will be issued um, either tomorrow, either Thursday or Friday right. for this upcoming system. Um, there isn't a flood watch current at the moment, but certainly in the next day or two, uh, we um, the uh, hydrologists are expecting uh, to issue a flood watch. Um, so yeah, just keep an eye out for that. But certainly, yeah, as you mentioned, a lot of this is uh, just runoff, and it will um, head straight into. Uh, those river systems being impacted currently. And another pulse into the system, so we might see, again, those sort of record-breaking uh, flood levels again, those ma- where there are already major flood levels in, uh, in, the, in the Lachlan and, uh, and Murrumbidgee and, and Murray as well. Yeah, that's correct. And um, I do believe in the next day or two we will see. Um, at the moment, we are seeing major flooding through that Forbes area, um, but there is still uh, that main body of water which is still making its way towards... Um, towards Forbes and towards the, uh, that part of the Lachlan. So um, in the next day or two, we could start to see um, further impacts from that. So just be um, aware of that as well. It is fairly steady at the moment, but uh, it may increase in the next day or two. Yeah, I think Condoblin just broke the all-time record there, uh, the breaking the record from 52 uh, earlier today. So uh, it's, uh, it's still happening out there at the moment as we speak. Alenka, thanks for that. Thanks very much, Michael. Alika Jumar at the Bureau. It's uh, twenty. It's 19 minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country Hour. We're talking about uh, the uh, issues with flooding and crop loss and a uh, range of issues there that uh, farmers are uh, facing at the moment. The Grain Handler Grain Corp has reported a record profit for the last financial year, but it's uh, turning it, it. But it's turning into a disastrous cropping season for New South Wales this year, as the rain continues to fall and the flood damage increases. In fact, New South Wales Farmers Association has surveyed their members, and over two thirds say they're experiencing flooding for their second year in a row, and many are struggling to recover from the dr- long drought years as well that uh, weren't that long ago. David Clawton reports on what looks like being a disastrous cropping season for many growers in New South Wales. The floods in New South Wales have now impacted on a large part of the cropping area. Gavin Toms is a mixed farmer in the central west where the flooding around Forbes has been massive. His parents' house, which has been well above previous flood levels, was inundated this week. Despite the challenges facing him and many farmers in the district, he thinks he may still get some kind of a crop off. Amazingly, there is some fantastic crops that will be able to be harvested if it dries out. But... um it just seems to keep raining. Like we had the longest dry spell up until this last event for a while, and things were drying out nicely. But yeah, uh, <laughs> and even then, people were getting machinery bogged. So, in my personal case, I didn't manage to get a lot of crop in. Uh, luckily, I have got some oats and barley on some uh, sandy country, which should dry out enough to harvest it. It mightn't make top quality. I don't think anyone around here will scathe uh, through without you know, a downgrade in the quality of their grain. The New South Wales Farmers Association surveyed its members to find out the extent of the damage. Xavier Martin told Christy Reading the impact will be significant. For the individual and uh, the cumulative impact, it's uh, really set to be enormous. It's not just one valley and it's not just one part of the valley, it's right across the state. And uh, to see this rolling impact going on for a second season, as evidenced from our survey, uh, it's really resulting in, uh, you know, the havoc in the paddocks and the roads 
continuing. Xavier, more than three quarters of respondents to this survey said that they had planted less than half of their usual winter crop this season due to the wet weather. I mean, there's so many facets to that statistic, isn't there, from the investment in communities, but also the the crops and, and the yields as well? Oh, that's right. And look, it's a missed opportunity and a really important uh, aspect of it is that uh, if we think back over recent years, farmers lost considerable equity through the drought years and the mice plague. And so whilst we had one Goldilocks year, if you like, in 2020 for most valleys uh, and made a profit and started to repay some of those debts, certainly 21 and 22 are turning into, for many, uh, another really big loss year. That's not the case for GrainCorp, the biggest grain handler on the East Coast. They released their results for the 2022 financial year this morning and Managing Director Robert Spurway says margins are up and earnings have doubled. It is a record result for GrainCorp with outstanding performance and $703 million in EBITDA. We've benefited from the second consecutive bumper crop on the East Coast of Australia We've delivered strong supply chain performance and demonstrated resilience in a year of many challenges for others. In in short, we have made the most of the opportunities that have been there and the strong demand for Australian grain around the world. We've seen record oilseed and food volumes and we're seeing growth in our agri-energy area, particularly the used cooking oil part of the business. And that is delivering significant value for shareholders. Dividends of $121 million in total in the 22 year, and that includes a final dividend declared today in total of $0.30 cents per share. It's in addition to the $50 million share buyback that we completed in July, and all the same leaves us with a very strong balance sheet with core cash of $177 million. While Abares is forecasting another bigger-than-average crop at 27 million tonnes, the outlook for the next financial year is more challenging for the grain handler. I think everyone's aware that, ironically, as good as that weather has been for the crop, it's also created some devastating flooding, and that's impacted uh, some regions and delayed harvest by several weeks. We do expect the impact of that flooding to impact on both yield and quality in parts of East Coast Australia, and we're certainly seeing a higher level of feed grade receivals. Despite the flooding, we've already received over 1.1 million tonnes into our network and our year-to-date exports are already 600,000 tonnes. The supply chain is continuing to operate. Meanwhile, Gavin Toms is still in the thick of the flooding. He's treating his sheep today for fly strike and dealing with the clean-up. But at some point, he'll have to figure out how to harvest this crop. The roads are either closed or full of potholes it's uh it's going to be an enormous task getting the grain to the the subterminals etc once this harvest is done and dusted who knows what the next one would look like there's plenty of moisture in the ground but getting onto paddocks to prepare country and so may well be difficult as the long la nina and wet season drags on David Clawton with that report. Yeah, we heard that uh, situation uh, that uh, that's going to delay any crop for next year for many people, uh, having spoken to them over the over the country after the last few days or so. So uh, quest- real question mark over uh, getting the crop in for next year as well for the winter crop. It's uh, 
Coming up to uh, 12 minutes to one here on the country. I now uh, got a text in on those uh, big profit results, uh, big profits for service provider corporates, Grain Corp and Insitec. Jock says it's time for agriculture to revisit cooperatives so that profits are returned to producers through reduced charges. Uh, also, uh, uh, the issue about the PM being uh, out and about in flood-affected areas. Greg at Ningen says uh, the PM had a pretty important meeting with the Chinese leader, which is crucial for Australian security, in particular the agricultural industry. Greg says he will be in Forbes soon and no doubt uh, uh, talking about the flooding once he comes back from overseas. And um, on the... Uh, uh, creeks and uh, channels, illegal channels uh, and floods on the Lachlan. Uh, Greg says uh, the creeks run out of the Lachlan down here. Uh, he says that uh, stations around Hillston have banks blocking the creeks, taking the water away from the river, keeping the place dry. But he says it is illegal and uh, the, watchdog, the water watchdog Enra haven't done anything about it. So uh, he says that has exacerbating uh, exacerbated the flooding uh, in in his view that one from uh, Greg who's downstream from Hillston it's 11 minutes to 1 here on the New South Wales Country Hour The, the Country, Country Hour. Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales A bat-born virus that affects pigs and humours can be found as close as the Australian mainland as Papua New Guinea and East Timor, and the virus can be spread to humans by infected pigs, bats or food, and the mortality rate is uh, somewhere between 40 to 75%. In 1999, it killed 100 people in Malaysia and over, 100, uh, over a million pigs had to be killed. Andrew Breed is a veterinary epidemiologist at the Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry. He says an outbreak in Australia is unlikely thanks to, thanks to distance and bat distributions, but habitat destruction in Asia could change all of those issues. Some work I was involved in found pretty strong evidence of Nipah virus being present in, in bat populations in, in Timor-Leste. And taking that and, and other evidence into account, the risk of Nipah virus entering Australia is still considered to be very low. But as our ability to investigate disease and detect viruses improves with technological advances and improved understandings of the, the systems and the way animals and diseases interact, we're finding more diversity and, and variants um, of pathogens out there, particularly in wildlife. So there's some uncertainty around that very low risk level. Though I think in a sort of COVID-influenced world, if you like, the, the potential for um, these unlikely and, and rare events of, of pathogens spilling from uh, animals into, into people, the severe consequences are uh, apparent. And so I suspect it's something that we'll see more resource applied to in, in future. What are some of the factors that are affecting the migratory ranges of the bats that are the vectors of um, Nipah virus? Is it likely or is it possible that their ranges could expand to make them more of a threat to Australia? Yeah, that's really a, a key question. I mean, we we know that Nipah virus has been present in bat populations for a really long time, probably thousands of years, and we don't have any evidence 
of that virus being present in Australia. So you could have a, a perspective of, well, if it's not here now, why would that ever change? But we do know and we can see changes in a whole range of wildlife populations um, in terms of uh, population size, but also movement patterns and including fruit bats in particular. So uh, when we take those changes into account, we can see that there are changes in how the, the diseases and the, the viruses that they carry can also change. And that certainly creates opportunities for, for changes uh, in the, the way the diseases behave. What are the factors that are causing um, these new changes in fruit bat distributions that you just talked about? I think there's no doubt a key driver is is land use change. So um, increasing clearing of of their native habitat, uh, forested areas, is causing those fruit bat at the bats at the population level to look for other opportunities uh, for where they can live. Um, and increasingly, actually in various parts of the world, including outside Australia, some of these large fruit bat species are finding urban and uh, and rural areas as areas that they can adapt to to surviving in. A perspective that's increasingly apparent is that the um, wild bats can carry a range of different uh, viruses and diseases. The, the spillover of those viruses from bats into people or domestic animals is occurring when the, the system that they live in is being disrupted and changed by humans. Um, and so the challenge for us really is to try to understand that system and find ways of uh, minimising and avoiding that uh, stress on, on wild animal populations. Edwina Beveridge is a producer-director at Australian Pork and runs Blantyre Pig Farm in Young. For pork producers, the 1999 Nipah outbreak in Malaysia was a boon. Uh, well, Nipah virus is on our, on our long list of diseases that we don't want our pigs to get. Uh, there's, there's probably a few others that are ranked a bit higher and uh, probably more uh, the threat of them seems more imminent. But uh, it's certainly on the list. Disease has been around a long time. I remember my uh, when Nipah virus, there was a huge outbreak in Malaysia. It actually helped the Australian pig industry because they took over the supply in the Singapore market and, uh, and it had been a really tough time for pig farmers. So I do remember my parents being, uh, uh, while sympathising with the Malaysian pig farmers, uh, it was a relief for Australian pig farmers to be able to take up that market. Edwina Beveridge talking about Nipah virus there. It's time for markets. Let's go to Casino Cattle. Good afternoon. A small reduction in numbers with 1,320 head pen. Around 900 were young cattle, mostly weaners in condition to suit restockers. There was a reduced processor attendance for growing cattle. Market trends varied through the weaners with the better quality lightweight selling firm to Deera. Steers under 200 kilos, soft 530 to 860 cents for sea mussels, 430 to 800 cents for the planar D muscle. Sea mussel heifers softened 500 to 776 cents. Little bit quieter and breed related 
change on the heavier weights with steers 504 to 702 and the heifers 500 to 670. Some of the plainer quality lots were cheaper. Cows made up the box. The ground cattle market trends cheaper with those to process down by 30 to 40 cents a kilo. Three and four schools 320 to 364 cents. Strong restocker demand saw suitable lines only slightly cheaper with two schools 240 to 382. Plainer one schools 220 to 280 cents. Bulls also sold at cheaper trends with the best to process 318 cents a kilo. James Armitage from in Casino. Let's go to uh, sheep and Lambs, Tim Delaney. Good afternoon. Land numbers came back to 5,300 at CTLX. Mostly good quality yardings, some heavyweight lambs, heavy to medium tray weights with colour. There's some well-bred lambs suiting both processes and store buyers. A similar number of buyers attended in a steady but slightly easier mark from unchanged up to $10 cheaper for lambs. Restockers pay from 80 to 170 for young store lambs. Light tray weight uses in lambs made from 135 to 142. Medium tray weights made from 155 to 172. Heavier tray weight new season lambs sold from 184 to 195. There were a few heavier new season lambs that sold between 210 to $221. Old lambs of light tray weights sold from 111 to $143. Medium trades were from 124 to 165. Heavy lands made from 168 to $206 and heavier old lands 200 to $240. Hoggets with cover made from 120 to 152. Prices mostly vary from 720 to 800 cents a kilogram carcass weight. Sheep supply decreased approximately 1,007. Mixed quality price was generally unchanged to $5 dearer in a consistent market. Light sheep made from 70 to $75. Medium weight used made from 86 to 98. Crossbred ewes with cover sold from 102 to 135. Merino ewes sold from 106 to 112. And Merino weathers made from 88 to 133 dollars. Restockers purchased crossbred ewes from 92 to 142, and a pen of rands made to 60 dollars. This has been Tim Delaney report for MLA CTLX. That was, of course, uh, at uh, Carcor, not uh, not Cara, As I said, let's go to Yass Sheep and Lambs. Good afternoon. Numbers eased to 7,500 and 4,600 were new season lambs. The quality was mixed. There were good numbers of store lambs. Trades were well supplied and heavy and extra heavies were back in number. The market sold to a dearer trend. The new season store lambs up $15.60 to $143. The medium and heavy trades to 24 kilos were up $12 to $16, $145 to $189 and they averaged $780 to $810. 24 to 26 kilos gained 12, 188 to 205 or 780 cents on average, with the heavyweights reaching 220. Old trades to 26 kilos, 110 to 190 or 720 to 750 cents. The heavyweights 186 to 202, with extra heavies topping at 223. The best priced hoggett reached 198. Mutton numbers were back and the quality mixed. Medium weight ewes were well supplied. The prices were back four to eight dollars. The medium weights seventy two to one thirty two. Heavy crossbred ewes one eighteen to one thirty three. And merino weathers reached one thirty five. And this has been Graham Richard. Let's go to Mossfowl cattle now. David Kent. Good afternoon, Michael. A slight decrease in numbers for a total yarding of 645 mixed-quality cattle. All categories were represented, including some high-yielding yielding steers to suit the trade, along with 76 cows to suit the processors and 37 cows and calves returning to the paddock. There were some good runs of weaners to suit the restockers, along with some planer types. All the usual buyers were operating, selling to a softer market. Yielding steers to suit the trade, back 31, reaching 550 to average 493. Yielding heifers to process, back 5, 420 to 505. Feeder steers were considerably cheaper, topping at 5.21 to average 4.53. There were not enough 
feeder heifers to quote. Well-bred weaner steers returning to the paddock did not make the highs of previous sales, selling from 510 to 776. The heifer portion were variable, 458 to 656. Heavy grain steers much cheaper, 312 to 416. Heavy grain heifers also cheaper, made from 320 to 380. Prime heavy cows slipped 43 cents. One cow made 409 cents, with the remainder selling from 335 to 360. Heavy bulls back seven, with the best topping at 370 cents per kilo. Cows and calves made from 1880 to $3,550 per unit. This is Dave Kent at Mossvale for MLA. And that's the market information for today. Uh, no carrot today. I'm not sure why I didn't get any intelligence on that. Uh, and also a reminder, keep listening to ABC Local Radio with uh, rolling coverage, giving you the latest on the flood situation. And uh, also uh, check out the SES website as well, as well as the BOM website too. And keep listening to ABC Local Radio. It's news time, one o'clock.